Great. Well, our passage this morning is Luke 2, verses 8 to 21. That's Luke 2, verses 8 to 21. I don't know if we have a reader uh, scheduled for this morning, so let me just see if anyone would like to be the reader this morning. Uh, It does mean that you'll be on the live stream, Uh, but if anyone would like to, let me just make that offer, and if not, I'll read it for us. Why don't I read it for us? Luke 2, verse 8 to 21. I see some of you pulling it up still, so I'll just give you one second more. I've said before, I enjoy thinking of those of you you at home scrabbling around the house, searching down the side of the sofa, yelling, no, it's not upstairs, where is it? Trying to find those Bibles. Hopefully you found it by now, and it's Luke 2, verse 8. Reading from the ESV this morning, and it reads And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Isn't this a great Christmas story? If you're the kind of person who likes taking notes, uh, I think you probably get an extra blessing for that in heaven. But uh, here's a sermon title for you this morning, and that's The Shepherds and the Angels. I wanted to just highlight a few points for you this morning. I think it's always good when we've got a great passage like this that is absolutely jam-packed with significance and symbolism. And there's a wonderful juxtaposition of all sorts of different threads to this story. It's a, a story that is so rich, so full of imagery and narrative that I think it's helpful just to hear a few key points noted. 
So I want to point out the significance of the, the shepherds and the angels. I think there's a great juxtaposition there. That all of this ultimately points back to the glory of God and the glory of God is reflected to the people at the center of this story with whom it says he is well pleased. That his glory is throughout this passage because this is God's story. Our lives are a part of God's story. I think so often in this world we live in, we think that God is a part of our lives. When in reality, I think if we see things from eternity's perspective, we are but a speck. As a great Bible passage reads, it says, Who am I that you are mindful of me? We sing it as a song. Who, are, who am I that you are mindful of me? Goes the song and it means, What significance have I got? compared to that of God. Why would God be mindful of little old me when he is from everlasting to everlasting, when he is the Alpha and the Omega, when he is the Lord of all that he surveys, all of time and history, your life, my life, whether you know it, whether I appreciate it, God is Lord of all. That's a pretty good sermon right there. If we were a bit more Pentecostal, I could have expected an amen at that point. We'll settle for a Baptist awkward chuckle. <laughs> I wanted just to talk about, you know, the juxtaposition that we see in this story. You see, there's amazing symbolism. Last week, as I was preaching, I talked about the symbolism in the story and the significance of the symbolism in the story. As I was preaching in Ainsford, I think you guys saw me on the screen here. And, you know, that symbolism, I think, is so easy to overlook. It's so easy to overlook when we're so familiar with this story. A while ago, there was a, an article in the news that said that the Queen had worn a piece of jewellery, a gift from the Obamas, when she met President Trump. And people wondered if she was aware that she was wearing this piece of jewellery from President Trump's predecessor. And the article went something like this, basically questioning, was this a slight, a deliberate comment about how she preferred the Obamas to the then president? Symbolism is a tricky thing to get a hold of, isn't it? It's hard to interpret symbolism correctly. It's hard to discern symbolism within a story. And if you're very familiar with a story, like we're very familiar with this story, it's easy to misinterpret or simply miss altogether the symbolism. But I think just as the Queen may or may not have intended to offend. This story is full of significant symbolism, which I am certain is there for a reason. You know, when you are a powerful person, you can communicate things in ways that other people can't. 
God is communicating something significant in this story that we could simply not orchestrate by ourselves. And I want to break that down for us really simply. Are you ready? <laughs> you see, the thing that's different about you and me and God, and I'm including myself in this with you because I find that we have more in common than I have with God in this instance, I don't have a choir at my disposal. In a couple of, well, a couple of weeks, I say, next Friday, we're borrowing a choir from the local Anglican church as part of our carol service in the local pub. The local pub invited us to have a carol service there, and we don't have a choir, and so I asked the very friendly local vicar if I could borrow a choir, and in fact, I think it might have even been her suggestion that I could borrow theirs, and uh, what a wonderful thing to lend somebody. I'm not quite sure what the terms of lending a choir to somebody are. Uh, like a card, you know, you always return a car with a full tank of gas, petrol, diesel, whatever. <laughs> At what conditions should one return a choir? Uh, a couple of suggestions from the room here, if you can't hear them on the video. One was um, full of mulled wine, I think mince pies as well. It's um, making them sound more like reindeer at this point. It's, um, you see, I think the significant part of this story isn't just the things we're familiar with. Jesus being born, born in a manger. The shepherds come and visit. A little bit later, the wise men come and visit. Our little nativity scenes that we all know and love have everybody gathered round. Probably the wise men were a bit after the shepherds. The, uh, I hope they weren't still staying <laughs> in the manger a couple of years on. In fact, I think they weren't. Uh, but I don't want to spoil this nativity scene that we love and we know and we recognize. But God contributes something as well. He contributes heaven's choir. Choir of angels. Angels, I think, are fairly synonymous with glory, purity, and God's kingship. Shepherds, I think, are fairly symbolic in this setting of looking after sheep. And uh, Jesus entering the world is going to become the great over-shepherd. We have pastors who lead flocks. That's another name for a reverend, a vicar, a, a minister. We're shepherds because we have a flock. If you're tuning in online, you might be part of the flock that I lead in either Ainsford or Stone. And that's a, a wonderful calling. And if you do consider yourself part of the church, then I think we have a responsibility as the church leadership team to you. We want to care for you. We want to know how you're doing. If we phone you and text you and you think, goodness me, they, they, they just don't take the hint. It's probably that we think that we are shepherding you and we want to encourage you to know Jesus. It's not like your mum when you're a kid and she goes, have you cleaned your room? <laughs> it's more like your friend saying, hey, I missed you the other week. How are you doing? So we've got the shepherds, and I think that's a significant part of this story. Jesus, as the shepherd of all, 
I think the humanity of shepherds is uh, fairly well documented. I guess that's a lovely churchy way of saying that they're a bit roughy, tufty, sweary, grubby, smelly blokes uh, who perhaps exemplify humanity in this story. I think it's significant that the shepherds are told about Jesus coming, not the church leaders of the day, the religious leaders, who Jesus has some stern words for when he becomes a man and is reflecting the father heart of God back to the established church of the day by saying, hey, I think you might not be understanding these things properly. You've, um, you've missed a thing or two. In fact, there's a couple of encounters with some church leaders of the day where Jesus is really quite robust, and I think in the end they end up so upset with him they plot to have him killed. The church is an imperfect place. I think sometimes people are put off the church because of its imperfections. When Jesus responds to the church, just as to every single one of us, is to love us and to die for us. And so that's the standard that Jesus is setting for those people that he loves. He's saying, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow. It's a sacrificial love. Well, let me talk to you a little bit more about the shepherds. I love that the shepherd's response, the shepherd's response, having been given this great message, seeing a great big choir of angels. I don't know about you, but I was trying to think what would my response be if I had just seen a great big choir of angels? What would your response be? It's fun to think about for a moment, isn't it? You suddenly think, um, I've never really thought about that. What would I do if I saw a choir of angels? I heard a story just this week. Someone was telling me, I don't know if it's true, but um, it's a wonderful kind of illustration of this question. Uh, the story goes that everybody had been to a prayer meeting for the church and uh, some people in the prayer meeting said that they had seen an angel. I don't know if they had, but one person was very upset that he hadn't seen an angel and he went home and he told his wife, he said, you know, everybody else saw an angel, but I didn't get to see one. And I just, um, I do really feel like I was missing out. So that night at about 11 p.m., they were both tucked up in bed. His wife had fallen asleep already. He was just reading before he went to sleep. Some of you might be thinking, yep, familiar with this little picture here. Uh, this is our household too. And this chap said that a... a an eight-foot angel walked past the foot of his bed, looked at him, gave him a little nod, and kept walking. And obviously he did the, the obvious thing that you do when something cool happens in life. He woke his wife up to tell her all about it. As I say, I don't know if this story is true or not, but I think it's a great story. What would your response be if you saw an angel? Are you waking up your husband or wife? Are you praising God? Are you going to go skipping around the house? Are you going to be very afraid? Lots of accounts in the Bible say that the first thing angels say is, 
Don't be afraid. <laughs> it tells you something, doesn't it? Don't be afraid. <laughs> There's a couple of great stories where someone sees an angel and dies. I mean, it's, uh, it seems like this is kind of a big deal. I don't mean to make light of it, but um, don't be afraid. The angel in this story says, fear not. <laughs> don't be afraid. And goes on, for behold, I bring you good news, great joy. The kind of thing you're hoping an angel's going to be saying to you, I would imagine. Fear not, good news. <laughs> As I was discussing my message this morning with my, my mum and dad over the weekend, we were chatting around the, the dinner table. I don't know if any of you ever do this, but just chat about things from church around the dinner table. I think it's... Um, a great thing to do with your kids and as a church kid I find that a great many years later I still want to chat to people over the dinner table whether it's Sunday lunch with friends, family, my parents, my in-laws, whoever. I want to talk about church and what we've heard and uh, we were talking about this story and saying you know these angels keep saying this is good news. Last week we heard the angels say to Mary good news but the very next thing that happens in Mary's life is that she's got a couple of days hike with a donkey, very heavily pregnant, to go and give birth in a strange town where her husband hasn't made an Airbnb reservation, and so they've got nowhere to stay, and so they end up staying in this grubby stable with all these smelly animals, and all the carols make it sound delightful, the cattle are lowing. I think we all know what that means. The cattle are noisy. Do you want noisy animals with your newborn baby parents? Anyone able to, you know, illuminate somebody who doesn't have kids yet? Is that a blessing as you're trying to put them down for a nap? The shepherds hear this news and they think, this is great. We're going to go and check this out. They think, wow, this is, a, this is something that we want to go and see. And so off they go. And my first thought, and this is when you know that you've been leading people for a little while, is, um, well, while it's very understandable, this is also deeply incompetent. Who is looking after the sheep? If anyone's first thought was, but who's going to look after the sheep? See me after. We'd love to make you a church leader. <laughs> My second thought was, well, no, that probably isn't reasonable because, you know, they just saw a choir of angels and everybody wants to do a cool thing. I don't know if you found a cool thing yet to do this Christmas. Lots of people are very excited about Winter Wonderland. Locally, we have Winterland at Blue Water. Uh, I'm quite excited about the carol service next Sunday at the SSE Wembley. What are you excited for this Christmas? I think this is the first account of Christmas mania taking hold of people and they get totally swept up, carried away, forget all their responsibilities and off they go. But perhaps unlike you and me, the thing they're most excited about isn't the hype of Christmas, but the person of Christ. And I think there's a great message there. What are you excited for this Christmas? The story goes on, you know, the angel song, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, the gift of grace, the gift of Jesus, 
has just entered the world. This is good news. You know, church, we spend a lot of time thinking about good news. You've probably heard this phrase, the good news of the gospel, the story of Jesus coming into the world, dying for our sins, so that all those things that we have done wrong can be made right before God, and that our eternity is secure in him. It's kind of the big overarching narrative in church generally, isn't it? But um, as I was studying this passage, something struck me that never has done before. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments. I find that the more I read the Bible, the more I have these moments. And so let me just encourage you to be reading the Bible. In fact, we do this really fun thing at this time of year as a church where we start reading Luke, and because Luke is a, a set number of chapters, it's just the right number that you can read a chapter a day, and then you finish on Christmas Eve. If you're thinking, well, do you know it is the 12th of this month? Good news. <laughs> if you read two chapters a day, you'll finish on time. Generally, I think if you're a little bit behind on your Bible reading plan or your devotions or whatever you're doing, God isn't terribly concerned that you're behind. I think he's just concerned that you haven't done it yet today. And, um, you know, I think you could start on day 12 and nobody would know. And um, probably God won't bring that up on Judgment Day. Hey, you know that time that you started on day 12, that was cheating. Probably isn't how the conversation goes when Jesus is busy forgiving you for all the sins that you've committed. This one probably isn't terribly remarkable. <laughs> But as this story goes on, I want to just to highlight this one thing that as I was reading struck me. I'm going to read for you again what the angels said. It says that, and suddenly there was with the angel, so we've had the first angel who's announced that Jesus has been born. We've got the angel's song, the multitude of heavenly hosts. That's what I'm interpreting as the choir of angels, which I think is a, a fairly well-known kind of interpretation. What were the choir singing? Because they're praising God, and, you know, how do we praise God? Well, we raise our voices and we give him praise. They're doing it in unity, and um, I know not everybody in church is a great singer, but I like to think angels are. Uh, that's a little bit of artistic license there, and I'm just owning it. Uh, but here they are praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. I think the most underrated gift from God is peace. It's a bit like being sick, having an absence of peace, isn't it? You don't appreciate it until you need it. When you're sick, you appreciate being healthy. When you have no peace, you appreciate peace. When my mum was a kid, my great uncle, uh, who was the biggest tease I've ever met, 
if you think I'm bad, you have no idea. He used to say, give me peace. <laughs> and she would get offended. <laughs> you see, give me peace. Don't we all just want a little bit of peace sometimes? Again, this is where uh, all the parents do well not to say amen, because uh, your kids will find out. <laughs> but... Um, if you are a parent of young children, I think this point should be resonating with you more than anyone else. Isn't peace underrated? <laughs> and so this gift of God, this gift of peace, is part of this great kind of revelation, but I think actually it's not even that is the greatest point here. Think the line, with whom he is pleased, is the thing that just jumps out at me. With whom he is pleased. This Christmas, how are we living our lives? How are we pleasing to God? What does it look like to be pleasing to God. What do you need to do to be pleasing to God? What is our response to God this Christmas? You see, this story has this fantastic juxtaposition of highly and lowly, this great juxtaposition of the things of God and the things of earth, angels and shepherds, the choir of heaven and sheep. Heavenly hosts reflecting the glory of God and a few grubby blokes who are a bit pongy. You see, when we look at the significance of this story, the high and the low, the glorious and humanity meeting together. And at the center of this story, the person of Jesus, of Mary and Joseph, who have pleased God. I think we've got a wonderful reminder. You see, this story isn't really about the shepherds and the angels. These are supporting characters this is symbolism at its finest. It's also just a great story. But uh, as we look at the people God is coming to save, not the religious elite, not the people who are the nicest, the best, the best dressed, the best smelling, the best looking. No, the shepherds, the everyday person, that actually this is every person's opportunity to hear the good news. And where does this come from? Well, it's the message of heaven declared by angels, proclaimed in prophecies, that God made flesh would come into the world, living and dying for our sake. And that this uncomfortably humble beginning of Jesus lying in a manger leaves these shepherds so awestruck that they went away telling everybody else about what they had seen.
you know, the significance of Jesus, not that they're, they're not running around saying, we saw angels. They're running around saying, we saw Jesus. Culturally, I don't know if you recognize the significance of this story. You see, the people of God have been waiting for this Savior for such a long time. Imagine generation upon generation sharing stories about how God is going to send a saviour. Having heard prophecies, having shared the stories, whether it was your bedtime story as a child going to bed, or as an adult sharing the stories of your faith, just as we share stories of faith today. Imagine the significance of being a shepherd and hearing this is the answer to the story. This is the answer to what you've been waiting for. The thing you want more than anything else, that is happening now. And so Jesus enters the story. Jesus enters our lives. Jesus, Jesus not as we think of Jesus, not 30-year-old Jesus in the prime of his ministry, the man, God made flesh, but Jesus, the baby. Humble yet kingly, poor yet the master of all, meek yet powerful beyond all comparison, our servant king, born of flesh and blood, our perfect example, lying in a manger. Lots of things amaze me about Jesus. But the fact that Jesus was born, that he lived, that he grew up, that he had nappies that needed changing, that he lived through awkward teenage years, that he knew pain and suffering, loss, hardship, that he saw the full range of human expression and life all around him, the fact that God doesn't just offer us sympathy, but empathy, I think is amazing. That God would lower himself, that he would literally pour himself out so that he could become like us. And then, having been made small and weak as we are compared to him, that he would then when he has all of heaven's choir and armies, not call on them once, but live simply, so that he could be the perfect example for us. Who can say they've been dealt an unfairness compared to the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, entering the world, and met by the most humble of welcomes. I think sometimes we meet people who feel like they've been dealt a bad hand in life. And don't get me wrong, some people have struggled more than we could ever understand. But here we have God, sacrificing himself, living as a perfect example. Every single day, choosing the ways of God, although he is fully flesh, 
he is also fully God. And so I believe he was tempted, that he was tempted to struggle with every single thing that we do. Whether it's snapping back at somebody and saying something unkind when they get on the wrong side of us. Whether it's just having had a really bad day, whether it's a bad hair day, a bad week, a bad month, or a bad year. Knowing loss and pain, sacrifice and hardship. And I think all of this, all of this comes together and better reflects the love and glory of God to us. That the love and grace of God surpasses our understanding. I don't think is a, a glib retort that we should share with one another when somebody says, well, I just don't understand. I think it's worth wrestling with understanding because I think faith seeking understanding, letting our doubts turn into questions, letting our questions turn into faith, and growing in the light of Christ is nothing less than following the Jesus way. That we walk in grace, grit and glory, humble and heavenly. That this good news for all to hear is not just the angel's song, but that we join heaven's choir. Because we've got something worth raising our voices about. And whether you've been a Christian for a long time, whether this is your hundredth Christmas this year. I think this person of Jesus, the example of Jesus, God made flesh, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, needing the care and attention of his, his mum and of Joseph, his dad on earth. Growing up, living a life and choosing the way of the Lord every single opportunity. This is worth singing about. This is why God is pleased. This is why a choir of angels announces the start of this story. And this is why the shepherds leave having seen Jesus rather than being excited at having seen a choir of angels. You know, you've got to be a pretty special baby to be more exciting than a choir of angels. I'm wrapping up here, and uh, usually when I share a sermon illustration, I try and make sure that I check with the person it's about before I share it. This one I haven't, uh, and uh, I'll just not name names. Uh, we, we used to know some people really rather well and um, the dad used to tell this story that uh, people would walk up and look into his daughter's pram and um, you know how everybody is oh they're so sweet oh they're so lovely he said that he used to walk two or three steps behind and when people would peer in they would say oh I'm so sorry and he thought that this was terribly funny 
uh, to tease his teenage daughter about how she was an ugly baby. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as I was thinking about this story, how impressive must this baby have been that the shepherds leave sharing what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've known? What was it about Jesus that was so special? I mean, if you look at some old art, if you've seen kind of these images of the nativity scene, I imagine probably the gleaming halo wasn't an actual occurrence. I think that's more artistic license to denote Jesus in the picture. I don't think the, the crib shone as some of these pictures kind of share. Have you seen these? I mean, crumbs, you can buy this to go outside your house. You can buy a four-foot crib with eight-foot shepherds and wise men, and you can put it on the front lawn outside the front of your house and hope that nobody nicks it, because uh, that would be bad, wouldn't it? They stole Jesus. <laughs> I don't think there are, there are any theological implications worth dwelling on there. But you can have this nativity scene on your front lawn. And Jesus glows. And I just think, actually, it's so easy for us to miss the point of Jesus, of Christ at the cross. It's so easy for us to make it about something that it isn't. Whether it's glowing mangers, whether it's Christmas decorations and baubles, whether it's the pressure of trying to make this the best Christmas. And parents, how many of you are feeling that after last Christmas? That you need to somehow make up for that by making this one better. And can I just make a suggestion to you? Because I think sometimes church leaders try and tell you you need to put Christ back in Christmas and you think, oh no, one more thing to do. Maybe it could be as simple as this. Maybe finding Christ in Christmas could be a blessing all of its own. Maybe God made flesh, Jesus born as a baby. I don't think that there was anything so remarkable about Jesus because we know that he was born fully human because he had to be. Last week I said, you know, there are some really big theological terms that I won't go into, but one of those is hypostatic union. It is the theology of how God is made flesh in the form of Jesus. How do we take the bigness of God and make it human? What does that look like? What does divinity and humanity in perfect balance look like? And I don't think it is glowing cribs or little halos hovering. I don't think it's something so divine that shepherds would simply be blown away by the significance of whatever they might have seen. I think the significant thing is that they heard a promise from God and in their hearing, they acted. And in acting, they found that that promise was true. And in finding that that promise was true, they saw a baby. 
who matched the description of heaven's choir. And so they knew who it was that they had seen. And although this baby didn't have a halo, didn't have wings, wasn't hovering six foot above the ground or had you know, kissed his mum on the cheek and she still had the glowing impression of his little baby lips on her face. You know, none of this. I think the humanity, the simplicity of God-made flesh was exactly what they were waiting for. That this was God's rescue plan enacted after years of waiting. And so I don't think we need to try and generate something, make something, do something, but simply reflect on the fact of who Jesus is to help our kids reflect on who Jesus is. In fact, can I just say, my whole theory as the pastor at Christmas time isn't that we're going to put on loads of events to try and be really, really busy. It's that when we have these services, we don't try and make them the biggest, the, the boldest, the brashest they can be. In fact, I think every Sunday follows the same pattern. Christmas, Easter, and everything in between. You know, we come together because we want to find Jesus. I think that's what it is to be a Christian. I think that's what it is to come to church. I think that's what is special about being here together is that we're all trying to do the same thing. We want to find Jesus. And whether we find him in the manger at Christmas or on the cross at Easter, the important thing is that we're seeking him with our whole heart. And you can't manufacture that. You can't plan for that. You can't make that an event or a moment that is either your heart's desire or it's not. And I think that's what it means to belong to him that our heart's desire is to see him and to know him. Would you pray with me? And we're going to close our service with a song in a moment. But um, Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would, Father, clarify our heart's desire. Help us to know what it is that we need to be making the most important thing. Lord, we don't need another thing to do at Christmas. We need a touch from heaven. We don't need an obligation or another task to complete. We need a sinless saviour. We don't need mulled wine, mince pies, Christmas carols, and all the rest. We need to reflect upon that silent night. That God made flesh, entered the world in perfect peace. The peace of God, your gift to those with whom you, not we, you, were well. And Father, we thank you that the most significant thing in our lives is your glory. In Christ our Lord.